Good to be together. Let's open our Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. We're studying through the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Our text this morning is Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. The topic there, 40 years after their fathers were disciplined for refusing to enter the promised land, the Lord commands Joshua to circumcise the new generation of Israelites as a renewal of his covenant. The title of our message, Four Skins and Forty Years Ago. I almost had a fight first service, but we, we dealt with it. Okay, verse one. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt, Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Let's pray together. Father, you're wanting always to bring us to a, a greater place of maturity in our walk with you. Uh, and we understand, Lord, that that's going to happen most profoundly by just seeing you as you're revealed in the Scripture and understanding what you've done for us, what you've accomplished for us, the life, really, that you've brought us to and the ability for us to walk in the newness of that life because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that we would fall in love with you today again, maybe again and again, as we see so many wonderful things, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Take this text and make it real to us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. According to the American Academy of Family Physicians, and I quote, full recovery following adult circumcision may require four to six weeks. They're talking about a sterile procedure performed under local anesthesia in a fully equipped office or hospital with precise surgical instruments by trained surgeons. In hostile territory, about two miles from the walled city of Jericho, Joshua incapacitated the entire army of Israel by circumcising them, not as a trained surgeon with precise surgical instruments using local anesthesia. He did it with homemade flint knives. Then instead of disposing of the foreskins as medical waste, he simply threw them in a pile and they were called the hill of the foreskins. I submit to you that the enemies of Israel holed up in Jericho could see the hill of the foreskins. There would be hundreds of thousands of them 
they would know that Israel's army was vulnerable. I cannot emphasize enough the strangeness of this military strategy. It screams at us that there is a spiritual lesson to be learned. It's a very simple lesson, really. Our warfare may take place in a physical environment, but it is essentially spiritual. Thus, battles are never won, nor are enemies ever defeated in our own strength. We must have no confidence in our own intelligence or talents or abilities. Those things must be incapacitated before we can fully follow the Lord. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, circumcision is a spiritual operation you want to receive. And number two, circumcision is a spiritual operation you don't want to reverse. And so let's take a look at verses one through seven again, where we see that circumcision is a spiritual operation that you want to receive. Male circumcision was given to Abraham as the sign of God's covenant with him and his descendants that he would give them the promised land and bless their seed as a nation. Though a physical rite, it always had spiritual symbolism. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 and chapter 30, God told his people to circumcise their hearts. God was always more concerned with the heart. So the outward rite of the cutting away of the flesh was meant to show them the inward uh, responsibility to cut away their flesh and be tender-hearted towards the Lord. The New Testament also emphasizes circumcision as a heart issue. The Apostle Paul defined true circumcision in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, when he said, He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Every believer in Jesus Christ, whether male or female, is described as already being, and I quote, circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That's from Colossians chapter 2, it's verse 11. When Paul says without hands, he means it is something internal and spiritual. It has nothing to do with whether you're physically circumcised or not. It is a putting off, or literally, it is the removal, he says, of the body of the sins of the flesh, the sinful fallen human nature that dominates you before you are saved has been removed by Jesus. It is part of what happened to you when you became a Christian. You are given a new nature and you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Well, here's the catch. My new spiritual nature resides in my old physical body. My old physical body still has inclinations and dispositions and tendencies to want to satisfy itself in ways that are indulgent at best and sinful at worst. We call this the flesh. My new spiritual nature residing in my flesh sets up an internal conflict. Will I act and react according to the lusts and the desires that remain in my flesh? Or will I act and react according to the delights of my new nature in Jesus Christ? Paul the Apostle talks about this at length in Romans chapter 7. You're probably familiar with it. If you're not, it's very simple. He says there, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. He says, I have a new nature, but I also have this flesh, this, these members that have tendencies and desires. And he speaks about that conflict and that warfare that's going on. 
It is precisely at that point of conflict that I am to understand I have been spiritually circumcised by Jesus Christ. I can thus deny the lusts and desires of my flesh in favor of the delights of my new nature. In other words, I have a choice in those moments. All of this is illustrated for us in our text. And so let's look again at verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. It's clear that the enemies of Israel believed they were already defeated. Their hearts melted. They didn't have the courage to face off. Nevertheless, they dug in and they refused to outright surrender. The same is true of you as a Christian. The lusts and the desires and the dispositions and the tendencies of your flesh have already been defeated and cut away by Jesus Christ. But because we're still in this physical body, they are dug in deeply and they refuse to surrender. How do you defeat dug in enemies that are already defeated? Well, according to our text and according to the New Testament, you do it by the spiritual surgery of circumcision. Let's look at verses two through seven, where it says at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself, circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself. He circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers, that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Now, it would appear that God suspended the physical rite of circumcision during the wilderness wanderings until all the previous generation was dead. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant that he had made with Abraham to bless his offspring and bring them into the promised land. When the generation sinned and refused to go into the promised land, God suspended his covenant and thus suspended the sign of the covenant. And that's why these individuals were not circumcised. It was not disobedience on their part. It was by God's doing. Now that all the previous generation was dead and their children were in the land, it was time to renew the covenant with them, and that meant that they would have to undergo adult circumcision. Now, circumcision obviously is the very last thing they ought to have done from a physical perspective. There's an episode in the Old Testament book of Genesis where uh, the sons of uh, uh, Israel decide to convince uh, 
their enemies to be circumcised, to submit to uh, circumcision. And while they're recovering, they go in and they just kill everybody because the fighting men can't move or do anything to defend themselves. And so it's not a good thing uh, from that perspective. You're only two miles away from the walled city of Jericho against fierce enemies, uh, and you decide to have a circumcision uh, in plain sight. However, it was the very thing that must be done in order for them to know the victory God had promised them. Every day, you and I have instances where you can act or react from your flesh, or you can believe that it has been circumcised and you can express the new nature. It is often the very thing you do not want to do. You feel it will somehow incapacitate you, but it's the thing that must be done for you to enjoy spiritual victory. Let's say someone attacks you verbally. You can defend yourself or you can return a blessing for their curses. You can grow bitter, or you can be forgiving. You can be impatient, or you can be long-suffering. The list goes on and on. You and I, we're familiar with the, the works of the flesh. We know what we're talking about when we talk about anger and, and bitterness and resentment and all these kinds of things. And we also understand the fruit of the Spirit, love, patience, kindness, gentleness, those kinds of things. And the Bible says the choice is yours. And in this context, it says you can understand that Jesus has cut away that flesh so that you don't have to respond that way. It's still entrenched. You, You still want to, in a sense. You can still yield your members to that, but you don't have to. The choice is yours. If you receive this biblical truth that you have been circumcised, you will defeat your already defeated enemies. No matter how deeply entrenched it may seem your flesh has been removed, it is applied by faith. One of the reasons that Christians uh, fall short so much in this area is that we live in a culture of blame shifting. Nothing is your fault anymore. Everything is the fault of someone else. It's your mother's fault, your father's fault, usually your father. Uh, you know, let's not pick on moms. And it is Father's Day, so. But uh, it's usually your, at least it's your parents' fault. Uh, you know, it's your, your upbringing. You either had the wrong education or too much education. Either, you know, you didn't go to the right schools or your parents forced you to do something. Uh, there, there's a million excuses for why we can't or don't react the way that we should. We can't bring that over into the Christian life. When you hear yourself saying things like, I can't take this anymore, I don't want to, whatever, you know, this is what we're talking about because the Lord says, wait a minute, the Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. Your flesh has been cut away. It's been rendered inoperative. You can still yield to it if you want to, but you don't have to. If we say that we don't sin, we're liars. But the Bible says we don't have to sin. And so this is the struggle that we have. I want to do certain things. I find that I don't always do them. I don't want to do certain things. I sometimes do them. But I need to believe that I can have the victory because of what Jesus Christ has done. And when I apply that by faith, I will walk forward in victory. So much of your Christian life is practicing what is true of your position in Christ. Two word pictures in the text might help us put spiritual circumcision into practice. First of all, it says they were circumcised by a sharp knife. So are we. 
The word of God is a precise surgical tool in the hands of the great physician. It says of itself in the book of Hebrews chapter four, that it is sharper than any two edged blade. And it is said to be able to divide between the soul and the spirit. That is some precise surgery. You know, you watch these shows, Medical Incredible on the Discovery Channel and all these phenomenal surgeries they can do now that, you know, with the microsurgery and the this physician's got this, you know, virtual helmet on. And sometimes I just think he's playing, you know, video games. But in reality, you know, and then they show the little camera going down these tiny capillaries and all the things that they can do uh, in cities outside Kings County uh, are are. Uh, well, no, I mean, it's in big cities where they have this good stuff, but um, I couldn't resist. Anyway, uh, I mean, it's fantastic. And, and they tell, you, you know, just if we don't get this just right, this person's going to be crippled, you know, for the rest of their life. And it's all really great. The Bible says of itself, it is so precise when working on your spiritual heart that it can divide between the soul and the spirit. Some theologians don't even believe there's a difference between the soul and the spirit. There's a big argument as to whether we're a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit, or a dichotomy, uh, spirit and, and body. And I won't bore you with it because it bores me to talk about it, you know. But, uh, but it's so precise, the Word of God. And so if I will read the Word... And, and really allow it to penetrate my heart and to humble myself before it. God promises that he will do surgery on me. I will see how I am to act and to react as a new creation. I will believe that I don't have to sin. Every command I encounter, I'll see that it, it, it already is an enabling from God to walk in newness of life. I, I won't say I can't do that. I'll be excited about what God allows me to do. And so as I just am in God's word, I, uh, I understand that it cuts away my flesh and exposes the spirit. Second, Joshua piled up the foreskins. You and I ought to have a pile going where we daily throw off the lusts and desires of our flesh. Now, yes, positionally, spiritually speaking, you were circumcised by Jesus Christ the moment you were saved. But on a practical level, when we're fighting this daily warfare, when something appeals to my lusts or my desires and I have a decision to say no to sin and yes to God, then I am taking that foreskin, as it were, of the flesh and I'm throwing it off and I'm piling it up. And this is the daily process of living the Christian life, piling up the deeds of the flesh so that I don't walk in them, but rather in the spirit. No battle can be won. No enemy can be defeated in or by the flesh. Realize that you have been spiritually circumcised and let your weakness and incapacity be Christ's strength and victory. Now, in verses 8 and 9, we're going to see that circumcision is a spiritual operation you don't want to reverse. It sounds funny because we normally don't think of physical circumcision as being reversible. There are, however, I discovered, both surgical and non-surgical procedures to restore the foreskin. Spiritual circumcision is a one-time procedure. It was already done to you by Jesus Christ when you were saved. But in our cases as Christians, it can, in a sense, be reversed and the flesh restored. It happens when we choose to ignore what Jesus has done for us and instead express our flesh. 
I can defend myself, demand my rights, refuse to forgive, grow bitter and resentful. I can lust after and desire all sorts of sinful things. And when I do, I am, in a sense, restoring my flesh and reversing that spiritual operation. I must therefore be willing to remain spiritually circumcised. Maybe the experience of the Israelites can teach me something. And so in verse 8 it says, So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Even though only the males were circumcised, the text applies it to the whole nation, uh, all the people. All of them benefited from it. As a Christian, I must remember that I am a part of something greater than myself. The Bible says I'm a member of the body of Jesus Christ on the earth. It says I'm a living stone in a building that is being put together on the earth. Thus, my decisions and my behavior affects other believers whether I want it to or not. It just goes with the territory. When I have a choice between the flesh and and the spirit, I should think of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I might think I'm sinning privately in a closet where no one can see me. But we're to understand ourselves as spiritual beings with connections to one another. And when I sin, when I behave improperly, it affects all of my brothers and sisters. We're going to see uh, in chapter 7 here of Joshua... Uh, a guy by the name of Achan who thought he was sinning privately, that he had done something that no one really knew about and nobody in the nation really did know about it. But God brought defeat on the entire nation. It, some of them were killed as a result of it because of the interconnectedness of the body of Christ. And so, uh, you know, we talk about peer pressure. We don't like it when our children are subject to negative peer pressure. But there is a positive peer pressure in the church of Jesus Christ, and it is to see myself as wanting to obey God so that you and my other brothers and sisters can be strengthened and built up and encouraged. Let's get closer to home. Maybe it's hard for you to relate to other people. Yes, we're, we go to church together, but we're not really that close, you think. Well, the previous generation of Israelites refused to enter the promised land. Their fleshly decision had a profoundly negative effect, uh, effect excuse me, on their own children. It forced their children to wander in the wilderness and watch them all die for their disobedience. So, too, does my sin negatively affect my children and my family. It, it seriously destroys families. Uh, and, and so the, the point that we're making here from verse 8 is that when I decide to, as a Christian, yield to my flesh rather than to the Spirit, it affects everybody. It doesn't just bring me a temporary pleasure and a lasting shame. It brings danger and difficulty to my brothers and sisters in Christ, and it destroys families. And so there's some, if you want, negative motivation uh, for this very positive teaching that the Lord has set us free from these things. Then it says they stayed in the camp until they were healed. The word is, uh, means to be made whole. The removal of the foreskin isn't a loss. It required the removal of the flesh 
in order to be made whole. You and I are made whole. We achieve true humanity, as it were, by denying the flesh. We lose nothing. We gain everything. Now, the world we're going to talk about in just a minute has done a pretty good job of portraying biblical Christianity as a loss. It's a a, a lose-lose situation. Uh, Most people, I think, generally have an idea that to be a really outstanding Christian, you have to be a, a, a monk in a monastery or a nun in a nunnery. I think it's a convent, isn't it? Anyway, uh... And that's the picture that people have. And sometimes even Christians have that uh, attitude and they want to become more uh, kind of reverent and more serious. And they move more towards, a, a, you know, a monk like or a nun like existence because they feel like that is going to make them more spiritual. And so the world comes along and says, look at all that you have to give up. What do you gain? You know, chanting and eating lentils three times a day and and using outdoor toilets. And I mean, you know, there's nothing to it, you know, and stuff. And and the reality is what this is telling us is that when you cut away the flesh, you gain humanness. You become what God intended you to be, that person that is led by the spirit, driven by the spirit, filled with the spirit, who is able to accomplish things in a spiritual dimension, touch people's lives live as life was intended to be lived. And so you and I are made whole when we yield to the spirit rather than the flesh. Then in verse nine, the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt 400 years. It was a reproach to them as a people to be held in the bondage of Egyptian slavery. Now they were where they were supposed to be. Their fathers had been released from that slavery. The reproach was off of them, but they failed to go into the promised land. And so in a sense, that reproach continued you know, they, they were out of Egypt, but not in the land. Now the Lord says now that reproach of bondage to sin and to to those things, that's been removed now that you're in the land where I intended you to be. Egypt in Scripture symbolizes the world for the Christian. Keith Green had a great song called, You Want to Go Back to Egypt. And let me just read some of the lyric to you. It's kind of fun. He says, so you want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure? Are you sorry you bought the one-way ticket when you thought you were sure? You wanted to live in the land of promise, but now it's getting so hard. Are you sorry you're out here in the desert instead of your own backyard? Eating leeks and onions by the Nile. Oh, bad breath, but dining out in style. Oh, my life's on the skids. Give me the pyramids. Well, there's nothing to do but travel, and we sure travel a lot because it's hard to keep your feet from moving when the sand gets so hot. And in the morning, it's manna hotcakes. We snack on manna all day. And they sure had a winner last night for dinner, flaming manna souffle. So you want to go back to Egypt where old friends wait for you? You can throw a big party and tell the whole gang that what they said was all true. And and so what he's trying to capture there is the sense that we have as Christians that, you know, we're, we're set free from the world, but there is a pull back to the world, especially when the Christian life gets difficult. And it's not unusual for Christians to talk like this. I remember a wedding many years ago that I, I was at and the, the, the pastor was uh, 
uh, talking to the couple and he mentioned uh, of the young lady, he said, he said that she had come out of Egypt and was now walking with the Lord. And a lot of people didn't understand that reference, but it meant that she had been backslidden, but now she was back with the Lord out of Egypt. And so it represents that pull back to the world. Maybe you got saved later in life after living out in the world. Maybe you've been saved all your life and never really have been in the world, so to speak. Either way, the world exerts a powerful pull on the Christian. The whole world seems like a giant advertising campaign designed to get you to buy into its lies. The devil uses it as a lure. Together, the world and the devil appeal to your flesh to try to reverse your spiritual circumcision. You're trying to walk in the spirit, trying to uh, follow the Lord's leading. And it seems like everywhere you look, everywhere you go, there's a temptation. There's something saying, come over here, stop in here. You can do a little of this, a little of that. And, and, it's, and, and it's always so appealing. It always seems so liberating. It seems so freeing. Egypt was a reproach to God's people. It was a place of slavery. And so should we understand the world to be to us. Alternative lifestyles, illegal substances, lawful behaviors that nevertheless are unbiblical. None of those things bring us into freedom. Society at large, the secular world says, hey, here's real freedom. Marry whoever you want, drink whatever you want, smoke whatever you want, do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt somebody else, then you're free. The sad thing is, many of us who've been set free from those kinds of things, we want to return to them. We miss the leeks and the garlic and the onion of Egypt. Others that have never been in bondage to those things see them as kind of exciting. It's always a reproach to God's people. That brings us into bondage. They make us slaves for whom Jesus Christ died to be free. It is a reproach when believers are in the world. And so let's stay where the reproach has been rolled away. Let's make the decision to say yes to Jesus. You are circumcised once when you are saved. That is your spiritual position in Jesus Christ. You apply it daily and put it into practice by denying your flesh in favor of your new nature. In that sense, you have a foreskin to throw on the hill of the foreskins every time you obey the Lord over your own lusts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. Uh, very graphic in a sense, Lord, the illustration that you've given us, but how appropriate uh, here in these last days when the world is uh, just hammering us as Christians, uh, showing us things and telling us things, Lord, about freedom and, and all and yet, in reality, you've died to set us free from those things. And you've sent your spirit to live inside of us so that we can say yes to you and no to ourselves and no to sin. So that we can affect others for time and for eternity and uh, prepare our hearts for your soon coming. And so I pray that we would take, the, take to heart the lessons from uh, these nine verses. That we would receive our spiritual circumcision as a, a done deal, as something that is factual, as something that's true of us. We would put it into practice, Lord, uh, in every decision, day by day, minute by minute, as it were. Lord, when we fall short, when we fail, we thank you that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness and to give us second chance after second chance. This morning, Lord, those of us who uh, 
have failed and are failing. Those of us, maybe, Lord, who have deeply entrenched issues in our flesh, I pray that we would understand that you have cut them away, that we can deny them, that we can have victory. That our enemies, yes, they're dug in deeply, but they are defeated and that the choice is ours. I pray that we would be a people of faith, letting your word uh, cut deeply between the soul and the spirit of our walk with you, revealing precious truths, Lord, and, and most of all, revealing your great love for us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Uh, sign up for Family Camp over in the chapel store. Get that going. You might want to pop into the cafe. We uh, were blessed to have uh, some volunteers. Uh, volunteer tons of time this week to redo the cafe floor. We now have a beautiful tile floor in the cafe. I spend even more time in there now than I used to. Uh, so just pop into the cafe and check that out. Wednesday morning, the men will be together for uh, our uh, devotional time going through the Sermon on the Mount. Wednesday night, Ignite. Tonight, we've got the worship event here. Uh, I'd also ask that you would pray for Gino and I. We've uh, been invited to go down to Calvary Chapel of the Antelope Valley in Lancaster on Thursday uh, to be involved in a men's event down there for my good friend, Pastor Mike Morris. So we'll be traveling down to Lancaster. Uh, so pray for traveling mercies. And uh, since I think I'll be driving, pray for Gino. Uh, and things like that, you know, angels, ask for a special angel assignment, you know, on Highway 58 and the 14, and if I were you, I would stay home, Uh, but uh, no, and then pray for the ministry as well, Uh, may God just take these truths, you know, the, the more I walk with the Lord, the older I get, the simpler I want things to be, you know, when I was first teaching the Word of God, I thought everything had to be really intellectual and theologically intense and, you know, all this kind of Greek and Hebrew and all this kind of stuff. And, and you know, then I realized that that's a background that you have to have. You have to make sure you're accurate. But really, the, the, the greatest truths in God's Word are the simple truths that we have a tendency to overlook. Uh, and, and Joshua is a very powerful book, a very profound book to illustrate your Christian life just on a daily basis. And, and, and so the next time, you know, we didn't have time. It was not just sin, but the next time I'm tempted to, to act in a, uh, you know, a, a, a deceptive way or to try to manipulate somebody or to coerce somebody or to intimidate somebody, whatever it would be, all of this stuff that comes with the flesh. I can stop and I can think, hey, wait a minute, Jesus removed that from me. It's still there if I want to yield to it, but it's holed up and I don't need to yield to it. If I walk forward in worship and with the word, uh, it will fall and I can have victory over it. And so may we enjoy the victory that is already ours in Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.